on? Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, I'm going to sit down today just because I run around a lot. And I think... Uh, can we just turn, turn our attention to the Lord? Because I, I really feel like what the Lord has been doing during the service is He wants to address... Um, we heard that in the words that we were encouraged with just now. Um, don't let despair take over. There are certain things that we're all going through right now. And this is something that the Lord was just... As I was walking around worshiping, um, I had this real clear sense that there are things that we are all carrying that we don't know necessarily how to put down. I don't really know how I'm going to do that um, because it's a very present thing. It's, it's going on. Uh, it, it's, it's not something I can run away from. It's not something I can just say, well, okay, there you go. I closed the door on it and it's gone. Um, but the choice of not giving in to despair is one of coming to him okay so everything that we are saying which is an activity of choice is a choice towards god okay so what we're going to do right now um if, if you want to read through psalm 27 that's what rosie was speaking from when she shared that um, teach me your ways O lord that i might walk in your truth and then he says i would have despaired unless i had believed that i would see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living Dwell on these things. Rehearse these things. Take it back to God. But right now, I want to open in prayer during our teaching time. But I'm going to pray from Scripture. And I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 1 as we pray. So if you just bow your heads with me. And this is something, like as we're praying, I want you to just respond. Just go ahead. Grab a seat. Um, oh, okay. Um, just, I want you to just give yourself an opportunity to respond to the truth as we pray, uh, but just say, Lord, I'm going to lay down these things coming to you, okay? The coming to you part is the laying down so that you can open my eyes. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, and we pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which we have been called. Lord, I pray that we will know what the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints is, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us, who believe you are who you say you are. Lord, according to the working of your great might, that you worked in Jesus when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And you have put all things, you have put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to us, the church. Lord, we are your body, and we are his body. Lord, you are the fullness that fills all in all. And we thank you, Lord, for this morning, for every place where there seems to be lack, for every place where there seems to be something that just doesn't fit or something that just doesn't work. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is present 
to manifest Jesus to us. Lord, and as Jesus is manifested, your Father heart is manifested. That your Father might be glorified. So Lord, we ask that your kingdom come and your will be done among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, like I said, I'm sitting down because I'm someone who always runs around and I get really excited. And this is one of those things where I'm like, this is one of those things I really just want you to pay attention because what we're going to tackle today is going to be something that's so central to your walk with God that we can sometimes just kind of scoot, scoot around because we're like, yeah, I know that. You know, it's one of those John 3, 16. <laughs> I know God so loved the world. <laughs> Move on, buddy. You know, it's one of those kind of things. When you talk about God being our father, there seems to be this notion that, yeah, yeah, I get that. God's my father. But we have all got all kinds of baggage, first of all, with the term father. Okay? Some of us have had really bad experiences with that word. And God wants to redefine that. But others, there's a sense of overfamiliarity. You're too familiar with the concept of fatherhood, where you feel like it's just one of those things like, well, father just means a good buddy who really, really agrees with me every time I say something, you know? Depending on your childhood, depending on the kind of things that you've grown up expecting, that is, those are the things that filter into how you express yourself in relation to God. And those are some of the things I want to address this morning. So part of our prayer was that you would be given the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowing of him. Whenever you hear that word in the knowledge of him, it is knowing him. It's not like, Mike, hmm, I got that. You know, I found a few more things to put down in my notes. No, it's a knowledge of him. It's knowing him intimately. So I'm going to pick up on some things that Bob was talking about. If God's goal is transformation, what is... Why is he calling us into this knowing kind of relationship? Because transformation, aside from that knowing relationship, is a striving. You end up trying to be that perfect looking tree. Right? He gave us a lot of illustrations with what God does. We don't do that transformation. We don't do the changing. He does the changing. The problem is we think we need to do just enough change so that he will accept us. It's, it's hidden inside church culture. It's hidden underneath. It's, all, it's, all, it's, it's, it's just festering. And unless we deal with it head on, we will always be caught with that secret thing of your goodness and your loving kindness chase after me because you're a good father. You're good to me, but not really because I need to make the good happen. Do you see how that can very quickly become the way you operate because some of these things have not been dug deep. Some of these truths that should guide how you seek after the Lord have not really been settled. I initially, like when I thought about doing some of these things as far as from a teaching standpoint, we've talked about this as elders. When we're talking about the ways of God, there are so many things that just are thrown around in Christian culture that we have never ever said, but why? Why do we call God our Father? And that's what I went into last week. And this week I really want to tie it home to now that you have been 
called out of darkness because of what Jesus has done, why do we say in Jesus' name? Have you ever thought about that? There seems to be the obvious answer, right? In Jesus' name because of what Jesus has done, so it's in Jesus' name. But that's more than that. For some of us, we've grown up, depending on your culture and your upbringing, it's just the tagline. It's more like the 10-4. 10-4, amen. You know, so it's like, it's one of those kind of like, okay, we're, we're ready to sign off. All right, he said in Jesus' name, all right. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. And our engagement in our prayer language has also become very rote. It just becomes something we get used to. So you might have even started your prayer with God, our Heavenly Father. You might have started that way. Or, dear Lord. You might have started any which way in your prayer language, but you've never paid attention to why you were saying that. You would have just said, well, that's what I said. I said, dear Father, dear Heavenly Father. And at the end, I know that the, it's basically the period at the end of the sentence, which is in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's what I really want to get after is some of those things that have just so neat. It's just sat there so neatly in our Christianity for so long. You're like, man, why are you touching that? Just leave it there. It's fine. You know, just let me pray. But I want you to understand what you have. I want you to understand what you have been given that is so connected to the way of God, your father. And we're not used to that. We're used to calling on Jesus, our savior. Would you say that? Would you agree with that statement? Am I making an overgeneralization? We are more content or we're more used to the concept of just Jesus being our Savior. So that becomes the center point of everything we talk about. We forget that Jesus being your... I'm starting to get up again. Um, <laughs> Jesus being your Savior was supposed to be the thing that tied you to the Father. That was his goal. His goal was to come open and get rid of all the curtains, get rid of all the doors, and get rid of all the things that got in the way of you having a knowing of God. And that knowing, he very deliberately, if, if you did the homework I gave you from Matthew 5 through 7, you would have seen Jesus was not just talking about his equation with God the Father. He says, I want you to know that your father cares about you more than sparrows. Your father is the one who wants to give you the kingdom. Not just my father, your father. And you have been estranged. You have been lost. And now you are found. You are no longer without a home. You are no longer without title. And that's what this word sonship comes to. It's not just in the, in the causal relationship between parent and child, like saying, so father, son. No. The rights of heirship have passed to you. So every single thing that God has is your inheritance. Every single thing, not even one thing withheld. Which is why when Ephesians opens and says, seated together with him in heavenly places, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. We think, yeah, kind of like a, you know, we sing showers of blessings. We think it's more like just something that he sprinkles on us, like fairy dust. We're talking about the very 
presence of God, everything that he has, all of heaven, all of earth, and all of the things in his dominion, he says, I've called it to be yours. This is your birthright. Imagine, you, I see many parents in this room right now. The things that you want to pass on to your children, you want to at least leave them slightly better than where you kind of started off. That's just a hope. Do we all get to do that? No. Is that necessary? No. But there's like an inbuilt desire in us as parents that says, I want my kids to be better off than where I was at this age. So that when they mature and when they become a full adult, they do better than I did. Right? That's at least the, the concept. And God's inheritance was meant to be way more than that. He's like, not just real estate, not just my leftover 401k. Not, I, I don't want to just give you like the leftovers of what I didn't use. That's the problem. We think about inheritance in the leftovers your previous generation didn't use. No, 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 no. He's saying right now, it's like a living trust where he says, not just when I'm gone. I'm saying right now, everything I have is for your use. But you don't get to use it just because. This is why we're going to talk about why is it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name is more than just a tagline. It's more than just my access point. It is my very connection to the life of God. So the way of the Father, and this is what I want to just put at the outset. The way of the Father is one of simplicity and trust. It is not one of complexity and striving. So this is the thing that I'm going to hopefully flesh out as we go. Is this, it's, if, if you start to feel like your equation with God is like, oh, there's just so many things to keep track of, and, uh, you know, and I, need to, I need to seek God, and I need to do this, and I need to change because transformation is God's goal, and God doesn't want me to despair. So I need, the moment it starts to get like that, this is not the way of the Father. I have slipped into something where I am the savior of the process. So the way of God as my father is something that is simple and it is one of trust. So if there is any aspect of it that's falling on my shoulders as the one who carries this through, it's not trust. It's self-reliance. Right? What's the opposite of trust? Self-reliance. I, I, no one's going to do it. How many of you at work or at home always say that it's always me? Right? You always feel like you're the only one who ever does anything and anything that ever gets done is only going to get done because of me. And everybody, the husbands and wives looked at each other. <laughs> but it is rooted in this whole idea of reliance is a hard thing. Being self-reliant is what we've been trained to do. If I want to do it the if I want to see it done the way I want it done, that's the point. That's the big, that's the problem right there. If I want to see it done the way I want it done, I'm going to have to do it. Why? Because if I tell you to do it and I commit it to you to do it, you might not do it the way I wanted to do it. 
And guess what, God? You didn't get with the program. We won't say that to God, but we feel it. So why would I trust God when I could go ahead and make that little bit more money if I take this job and then I can pay that and then my kids could do that? Do you see how quickly we get off on that tangent? Before we know it, we are the ones who save our homes. We are the ones who save our lives, our relationships, all those things we think it sits on our shoulders. So, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 28, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So he knows that his father is also the CEO and the boss and the founder of heaven and earth. That's what the word Lord means, right? It's just an older version of the word CEO or the person who founded. Like the founding chairman and CEO. You are the person who everything flows out of. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden all of the things that he was talking about. He was talking about several things about how the kingdom of God operated. And he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. So pause right there. Be very careful that we pay attention to why Jesus is mentioning it this way. You've taken these things and hidden it. Not they didn't get it. What has he done? Hidden it. It's not that they weren't seeking it out. It's not that wise people couldn't try and search it out. Guess what? The wisest among us and the most understanding among us will not figure it out. Why? Is it because of a lack of acumen or Christian history or tradition? No. He has hidden it. I want you to see it is a deliberate father thing. He hides it. The moment you become smarty pants, uh-uh. I'm not going to just simply say because you think you need, I deserve an answer. Why do I have to go to bed at nine? Okay, smarty pants. I don't have to tell you, but there are certain things that you think you've understood how children are supposed to grow. All nine years of your life, you figured it out. That's the kind of audacity we come to God with sometimes. And we are wise in our own eyes. We are extremely brilliant. And he hides, and he doesn't mock us for it. But he hides it and he waits for our heart to shift. And he has said, you have revealed them to little children. And in another portion, Jesus says, to such belongs the kingdom of God. If you are not willing to become like a child... And everyone talks about becoming children. No, no, no. He's not talking about you becoming an infant. He's talking about that sense of trust. Of saying, you will tell me exactly what I need to know to live. He's talking about a relationship that trusts implicitly. I don't have to say, trust me. Trust. Trust is implied. That's what the word implicit means, right? So it is something that... You're saying, without you having to make me do it, I do it. Explicitly, the opposite of implicit, is to say, I want you to trust me. Hold my hand. 
you know, when you're going across the street or something. I want you to, I'm explicitly asking you to place your trust. But if you as a parent have grown a relationship with your child, much of your instruction will be implicit. Much of your instruction will be, and God says this in other portions of scripture, for I will be a father who guides you with my eye. And this is something that, that used, makes me crack up now as a parent. Because my dad used to say this to me when we would be out in places. He says, are you someone who needs to be instructed with the rod or with the bitten bridle? Or can I instruct you with my eye? So when we're outside somewhere and he would look across the room, I would have been doing something crazy. And he would look. And then sometimes he would just snap. And that snap was, I'm getting your attention. I'm not making a big scene here. I'm just getting your attention. And I would be like, all right, what's, you know, something's going wrong. So what did I do? What, yeah. And one of those things. And I'd look across, and, and you'd see his eye like, direct me to a seat. And it was basically an invitation to sit down. And if I did not, nothing would happen there. We would go home. Right? And that's where it'd be like, well, me instructing you with my eye did not help. But for those kind of things to really take root, the equation needs to be built up. The implicit trust, and those are the places where sometimes parenting goes sideways. We don't take the time to build that implicit trust of saying, when you move, I move. When you say something, it's not something that I'm trying to say, well, you know, if I'm going to be a good critical thinker, i got to question everything. No, you can be a very good critical thinker and obey. Because I'm worthy of your trust. And I would never put you in a place where I tell you to be a zombie without your head. If I'm asking you to do something, there might be a really good reason that you do not see so in this day of knowledge and being wise and being a good critical thinker and questioning everything, be very, very careful that you do not get to a place where your questioning heart leads you to mistrust God who's saying, I want to teach you how to use your head. But let me teach you how to use your head. Don't say this is how my head works. No, 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 no. That's jumping 10 steps ahead. You do not know the first thing about how your head works. No, I have this, this is how I spiral, and this is how I get anxiety, and this is how I... Let me explain to you how this works, but in my presence. No, 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 I have this, and I've had this since I was a child. I get it, but I am your father. Let me teach you how to live. And none of these things will happen by magic. All of these things will happen... As we grow this implicit trust. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 31. For consider your calling brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were born into noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, 
even the things that are not, to bring to nothing all of the things that have been so established and show themselves as bastions of truth or bastions of we're the way to do this. Case in point, your 401k, your job, having whatever it is. There are lots of things in the, like say for instance, just think about what we have been trained to put our faith in and our trust in. The things that we think, well, if I just had a good playroom for my children, then my children would well be, be well behaved. If we just had a house that had five bedrooms, we would be fine. Like I'm telling you, there are so many like little things. I'm saying this as someone who's right now in a raising child phase. There are so many things out there that people tell you that you should have if you're going to make it work. Do you agree with that? There's lots of opinions about how you can make life work. And not even once have we considered our Father has something to say to us individually, not as some carte blanche, this is what Christians do. My Father knows my needs. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 7. Dear children, do you not know that your Father sees what you need? He cares about you. It is his good pleasure to give you everything that is in his kingdom. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you seem to be concerned about will be added to you. It's in that context. But God saw to it that he chose weakness. He chose the poor. He chose the foolish. He chose the one who did not have power or status. Why? So that no human might boast in the presence of God. That's verse 29. So he takes away any sense of boasting that we have. And because of him, and this is a big statement. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Can you say in? You're not attached as a plus one. You're not the plus one that got invited to the party that you weren't really invited to. You are in Christ Jesus. Where Jesus goes, you go. So now I ask you the question, where does Jesus go? He walks in and out of his father's house with ease. And just for that context, again, going back to the, passage that, the passages that I gave you as homework, he says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare my father's house. It has many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you because I love my father. We'll read that in a second. You are connected to him by, you know, we, have, you, have you heard about six degrees of separation? Right? Everyone's connected by at least in some way or the other. Huh? To Kevin Bacon. To Kevin Bacon, yeah, we're connected to Kevin Bacon. But <laughs> that's true. But... Uh, but we are connected to God, our Father, not by a degree of separation of one. We're separated from God, our Father, by a separation of zero. Because you are in Jesus, you're not attached to Him. And this is something that foundationally is not understood in the church. Because we think Jesus is our conduit, like a saint. 
So those of us who've grown up with a Catholic background have that bashed into our head that you, the only way you get to God is if you have someone who's a better standing pleading your case. Mary's not going to do it. No saint that has ever lived is going to do it. The only way is Jesus. And we just say, so I guess he's like, like the, the, the champion of saints. Like he's the one that if you're really going to go through one, you go through Jesus. No, no, no. There's no, there's no competition there. There is no access point that comes aside from Jesus. And that's what he says again in Matthew chapter 7. But then also in John chapter 14, which we will go through. The access point of Jesus, of Jesus being the one who either reveals or hides. The moment he sees smarty pants, not for you. It's, you don't get to be the one who gets God. I get how God operates. No, no, no. He says, all of the things we do, we do together. Don't just start off on work without me. You know how when you, now let's go to a different stage of growth. Imagine a 17-year-old, a 16, 17-year-old kid. And you're the dad or the uncle or the aunt or mother. And you see this kid say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, got, I got it. You know, and they want to they get ahead of it you know, because you're moving too slow because you're an old man now. You're an old, come on. You know. I, I've been there, done that. You know, I, I really want to move. I really want to. <laughs> I'm not going to point fingers. Eh? <laughs> I really don't want to move. I, I really want to move this thing along. But the problem in the process is we want the keys to the kingdom right away. Just, just let me have it. And we forget that he is maybe the best dad in that sense. He says, no, it's not because I don't think you can do it. That's, that's besides the point. I'd love to sit in the, in, the, in the truck cab with you when we go out to work. I'd love to have lunch with you. I'd love to dig that ditch with you. I want to be there passing on life skills that have nothing to do with digging a ditch. But you thought I could, if I get up at 5 a.m., get on ahead, beat dad to it, you know, I can at least get this done before this old man comes and slows me down. That concept is also in our Christianity. We feel like we've matured as Christians to a place where we feel like, ah, yeah, 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 I got this. Yeah, I got this. And we forget that the point of this wasn't about whether you got this. The point was, I want to be there with you. As a heavenly father, he says, I, and you see Jesus say, say this all the time. I will not do anything I do not see my father do. You think Jesus did not have the authority and power to do anything that needed to be done? He could have done it in his sleep. He could have spoken a creative word and done what needed to be done. But Jesus laid down everything and he says, I will only do it with my father. I will only do it if he calls me to do so. I refuse to do things without my father. And the same way you watch the Holy Spirit, who is right now among us, he says, I refuse to do anything I do not see God the Father and Jesus do. Anything that is not of him, I will not have any association with. 
So as people who are the temple of the Holy Spirit, how do we behave? Are we people who behave in a way of saying, we will not grieve the Holy Spirit who is entwined with God the Father and the Son. And he says, you've been placed in Jesus. Stop trying to rip us apart and say, no, I, I got this. I, I can dwell on my flesh. I can rely on my human strength. And I got this. He wants to be in that ditch with you. He wants to fix that sidewalk. He wants to do that project. Whatever it is. And he says, I have a vested interest in you doing this well. I do. I want you to know me. And we just read this in Ephesians that he wants to reveal wisdom and revelation of knowing him. Not understanding in a cognitive sense, but really knowing. Oh, I, I know how my father would do this. Why? Because my father is with me. I don't assume to say, well, five weeks ago when we were digging a ditch, this is how he did it, so I'm just going to go ahead and dig a ditch the way my dad taught me to. That's how we in human context want to just release people and just say, yeah, you go ahead and do it. He's not a helicopter dad who's trying to constantly critique your work. That's the reason why we, when we grow up, we run from those who have been our mentors or, <laughs> or adults or parents. Why? Because we're afraid of the helicoptering. We're, we're afraid that they're going to sit there just critiquing the work we just, just did. But God's not like that. He wants to sit there. So when you're navigating fear, it's not like, I told you do not fear, so why are you afraid? No, he sits there and says, okay, we, this is a ditch we've dug before, but I'm right here with you. If you choose to turn to me, I will help you with fear. If you choose to turn to me, I will transform this way that has made its way into your heart. I want to mature you in this. And it will not be aside from me. It will not be, go figure this out by yourself, buddy. Because I already taught you that lesson 10 years ago. No, 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 no. This is the amazing thing of having God as our father. He is fully invested in us. Colossians 3.3. 3. And this kind of nails this down. For you have died. And the life that you have right now. Is hidden with Christ in God. So all of the things that you call your daily living. Is hidden inside of Jesus. No one can take it. Nobody can touch it. Except you say. I don't need Jesus right now. I would much rather figure it out on my own. Do you see this constant tug to want to figure it out by ourselves? And he says, no, but you've been fashioned anew. You're no longer just by yourself. You've been brought into my house. You bear my name. You have the rights of this household. So stop acting like a plus one. Stop thinking that at some point there's going to be a guard at a gate who says, no, you're not allowed behind this. You know that secret feeling when you're invited to parties or to some place, like say a function, and you're like, I don't know which areas we're supposed to go to. Is this, you know, like at a wedding sometimes? Have you ever, I don't know, I've done it. You know, where you walk into a reception and you suddenly, like, you have to do the cool kind of walk away. 
You know, because you walk to a place and everyone's like, no, sir, no, sir we're not doing anything here. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and you got to do that little shame walk of, yeah, I, I, I knew that. I knew I wasn't supposed to be here, but, you know. And that's the secret feeling we sometimes have in church where we feel like there's something about God that I'm just not allowed to have because I'm not really a cool enough Christian yet or I'm not experienced enough. So there are some things that I'm going to go up to the gate and they're going to be like, yeah, not for you, <laughs> okay? You know, and you're going to like amble away. Mm-mm. Every single thing that God has is for you. The issue is, am I going to turn to him? Sorry, I will sit down. I get excited, sorry. I, and I told myself I got to sit down today. I'm sorry. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to, to God. So now you also, put your point at yourself. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as someone who has put on Jesus, Jesus is not just my wardrobe for the day. He is the person I am in. Does that make sense? I'm fully covered by Jesus because it's his work, it's his death, and it's his life that gives me access to everything that God has. I'm not trying to be a better man. I'm not trying to be a better person. I have been made completely holy. I have been made completely new. Which is why Jesus says, you can be holy like your father is. You are called to be perfect in every manner, not because he says, I'm going to require this of you. He says, I'm the one doing the work. When Bob finished with Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you is also the one who is faithful to complete it. So why are you stressing about this? What, where is this pressure coming from? Where is this shame about, well, you should have done this by now? Where is that coming from? It comes when we don't have the way of the Father clarified in our hearts. It's more as a, as a peasant who's somehow hoping this glorious, amazing God will somehow let me in. He says, I refuse to deal with you on that basis. Even though he is the king. Even though our righteousness is as filthy rags. All that is true. 
However, he refuses to deal with us on the basis of him being king primarily. He says, I want you to know that I am a king, but I'm your dad who is your king. I am holy, totally untouched by anything that is defiled. But I am your dad who is holy. So when I invite you into holiness, it's not a requirement for you to do something. It's an invitation to take on who I am. Let me get in the ditch with you. Let me show you what holiness is. Let me show you what righteousness is. I am not putting that pressure on you. That pressure was taken fully on the back of Jesus. So what Jesus stands up and he says, Father, I have done what you have asked me to do. Glorify your son now. I want to read through John chapter 14 here, if, you, if you'll let me. This, I believe, is a passage of scripture that I don't want to like, shortchange in any way. Because this is, this is where you will start to see why God is calling us into a love relationship, not a doing relationship. If your relationship with God is based on your doing and not a primarily a, do, a, a loving of Him, it'll all go sideways. Do you remember me saying several times about how one of the things that God has really been shaping in me about discipline with my children is challenging, do you love me? Have you remember me saying that? This passage of scripture hopefully will open your eyes to see that obeying my commandments is not what causes me to love you. But you being in a place where your love for me responds to my love for you, you will do my commandments. Doing my commandments is an overflow of love. Rather than, if you do my commandments, then you love me. That's what we always read those verses to mean. But he is always putting that on the heels of John chapter 14. So what you see in John chapter 15, right? Abide in the vine and you, if you do what I say, you will bear much fruit. And all of that stuff is on the heels of this chapter here. So let's read it. Let not your hearts be troubled there. First, he immediately says, stop stressing out. <sighs> Calm. All right. Now pay attention. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not told you that. Uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Would I be just yanking your chain if I did not believe that you are part of where my father and I live? You're part of the household. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you there myself. That, you, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am God. Look at how bold Jesus is. He doesn't even mince words. Would any of you say you know the way to exactly to God the Father's house? He thinks you do. Isn't that a mind-blow moment there? Because you feel like, no, I'm, I'm just a human who's trying to find... No, he says, no, you are connected to me and you know the way to the Father's house. You do. Thomas said to him, Lord, and he thought he was being very wise here. He says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, my dear friend Thomas, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So your connection to Jesus is more than just a connection. It is my way. It is the pattern of my living. And this pattern goes straight into the Father's house. If you had known me, you would also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So he wants you to know that if you have seen Jesus, you're not missing anything about knowing God our Father. So when you pray, and remember he taught us to pray this way, how, do you, how does he want us to pray? Our Father. So stop thinking when you say our Father, oh most benevolent one I don't understand, I've never seen, I don't know who the heck you are, but you're somewhere up there in the stars. Now, uh, uh, uh. Our Father, I've seen, I've tasted, and I've known that you are good. So when you sing a song like the one we did, I've known you as a father, known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. Have you? When you get past the religion of it, ah, okay, you actually do want me to know you, and you've not hidden yourself. Why? Because I choose to be simple. I choose to be childlike. I choose to be weak. I choose to not try and be powerful. Because to those people, he says, I will disclose all of these things to such people. All of these things are free gifts to such people. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that is enough. On the heels of him just saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he was like, no, no, no. I think he's going after something else here. So let me ask the smarty pants question. He was like, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And then Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Again, foreshadowing what you will be. He's saying this connection is not one of saying, hey, buddy, buddy kind of thing. It is we are in each other. You cannot separate us. You cannot say, oh, well, now is the day I can put aside Jesus. You are hidden in Jesus. You are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. The words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. This is the getting in the ditch thing. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Look at the stuff that I've done and you will see the prints of my Father all over it. You will not be able to tell our work apart. Believe me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whenever he says truly twice, pay attention. He's saying, because I'm, I just said something and you obviously haven't paid attention. That's you. Whenever you see Jesus say that, that's usually a remark to say, I just said it and you're obviously not getting it. So pay attention. This is to make doubly sure that you're listening. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will also do the works that I do, and the greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. He's so convinced that the work that you're capable of is awesome. Not just a half attempt. Why? Because he's the transforming work. He is the one who's doing the work in you, not you. He's not, not for a second has he relied on you to get this done. But he's fully convinced that the work that comes out of your workshop will be awesome. This is what Bob has been talking about. When God is in the business of transformation, he invites you to put your hand in his and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He's looking for a heart that is willing to humble and say, I will give you my trust. And then he says this amazing thing. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And this is where that phrase is. If you love me, you will do my commandments. Not, if you do my commandments, then you will love me. What is the first statement he gets to? He gets to a love relationship which he had. So he has just gone through all these verses talking about his love for his father. I don't know if you, that, that's why the verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, is there. Because you might have missed that. You might have got so caught up with the works that he was doing, that you forgot that he is saying, I really love my dad. I will not do anything without my dad. And now, he explicitly says it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Again, this is that hidden thing. It is only to the one who is willing to be weak. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, they're the people who actually love me. When you read a statement like that, do you see your mind wanting to say that if I actually do the stuff, that's how I love him? Is that what that statement is saying? Based on everything we've just read, I want you to see that what he's talking about is if I have your heart, you know how we can tell the people who do the stuff that I ask them to do? They do it because I already have their heart. It's not the other way around. We always want to attach our doing as the proof. He says, no, the proof is you loving me. And that follows with the outwardly proof for people to see. Which is why Jesus says, do you not know that the, I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And you're like, no, 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 show us the Father. And he's like, at least because of the stuff I do, at least believe that. Do you understand? The stuff that I do was not meant to be the proof point. Ah. It was the connection in the way I operate is so Father-driven. You can't tell 
you're like, yeah, oh, the works that you do, oh, yeah, that looks like God the Father. That's something he said. When you are a person who's walking on the street, that kindness that I receive from a believer, that looks like Jesus. Not, oh, I'm a Christian, so I must be kind. No, 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 no. That's the wrong way around. I belong to Jesus, so what comes out of me is kindness. Because I've invested myself in that connection. So I, I want to finish here. I don't have time for the whole chapter, but please read the entire chapter. Because Jesus goes back and forth and he constantly he reiterates this whole thing about keeping his word, doing what he has asked us to do, but he always brings it back to this place of love. If your relationship with him is based on anything aside from love, it will not bear the fruit of the kingdom. It will only bear religious works. And this is the problem we have in the church today. We're so trying to create the work of transformation. We're trying to mimic the work of righteousness. But we're never going to the source of righteousness. We're never going to the source of whatever this is that God wants to do. We're wanting to do it in our Christian understanding. Forgetting that my dad wanted to go on this job site with me the whole time. So can we just commit ourselves right now, just saying, Lord, I drop every place of shame, every place of condemnation, everything that has told me that I need to do something. I want to know you as Father. Because you have called me to do so. Lord, we come to you as those who have been called out of darkness and have been placed in your beloved Son. So we receive freely what you have given us. Lord, we hold nothing back of our own. We lay it in the dust and we receive from you. Teach us, Lord God, what it is to be a child of yours. Teach us, Lord, with simplicity, Lord, what it is to walk with you. That we will be transformed by your word. We would be a people who obey your commands, who walk in truth. Not because we have to, but because we love to. Lord, change our hearts, O oh God. Lord, any places, Lord God, that are drawn by the affections of this world, Lord, we bring that to you as well. Lord, we ask that you would find, Lord God, our hearts supple and, and tender for your molding, for your changing. Lord, that you might transform us, Lord God, into those trees which are oaks of righteousness. We thank you, Lord God, for your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.